too. So that always helps when you want to come to either conclusions, correlations. So we are going to be going live in two seconds, one. And welcome, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of This Week. And we'll change the name to This Week in Investing in Equity Crowdfunding, formerly known as This Week of Crowdfunding. We have two amazing guests with us today. Again, Yvonne and Woody, thank you for joining us today. We're going to go over 2024 uh, investment insight, uh, 2024 trends, recapping 2023, looking at what played out in the uh, equity crowdfunding invest uh, industry. And with that being said, thank you, Woody and Yvonne. Great to be here once again. So lots to unpack in terms of crowdfunding trends in 2024. Um, I'll just say right off the bat, um, a lot of what you're going to see is an abbreviated version of about 175 slide presentation that comes from our 150 page annual report <laughs> that is chock full of yep. <laughs> images. And, and as I was saying earlier, we've highlighted it. So you don't even have to do any work. You can just read the highlights of the whole thing. But, um, you know, I was joking around with some people earlier today that um, I missed the first annual report that was eight pages long. And so the fact that this is 150 pages, last year's was 120, I thought that was big. Um, I think speaks to just how how much the industry's growing. You know, it's, you know, in the beginning, there wasn't much to talk about. Now you've got everything under the sun to talk about from women and minorities to sectors, to valuations, to where capital is going around the country. And it's just, it's pretty fascinating. So. What I want to do with um, with the the trends on this, these slides is really just cover highlights um, and go over what um, what we saw as a lot of the highlights from 2024 or 2023, I should say. Talk a little bit about where we think 2024 is going. Um, make this as interactive as possible, and then you know at the end open it up for you know whatever questions that that you know you might have, Connor. If anyone is you know in the audience is listening, and they've got questions bring it on. I think uh, we get more out of it when we have an interactive conversation anyway. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I just wanted to uh, talk to you real quick about, you know, you m mentioned, you know, now the year in review is 180 pages compared to 120, just because the industry's grown. It's gotten, you know, bigger, there's a lot more momentum, a lot more things to talk about this year compared to last year, which is a good thing. I don't know if you've noticed, but it seems like the media is starting to cover equity crowdfunding a lot more too, especially the beginning of 2024, which I find super exciting because the more media covers these stories, the more eyeballs, which means more attention, more founders want to raise capital that way, more investors want to get active and invest in startups. Yeah, I mean, that's what it's all about. And, and I think one of the things that stands out in the report is we're starting to see exits that are happening. So there were three IPOs that happened from the space last year. There were multiple acquisitions that happened in the space and those are investors getting their money back. And that's the story. Mm -hmm. You know, it's one thing to invest in a company that you believe in. It's another thing to actually get a check for your investment mm -hmm. a few years later for a thank you. Um, and yeah. I think we're going to be seeing just a lot more of that. Well, that sounds great. Well, do you want to get into the presentation? Sure thing. Let me get started and let me just move this around here. Okay, so I don't really want to go too much into the background, but for all of you that don't know me, I'm one of the principals at Crowdfund Capital Advisors. Um, I'm a, a seasoned entrepreneur. I use my knowledge and experience of securities laws to sit down with two friends of mine to write the 
crowdfunding bill that went through Congress. We went to the White House for the bill signing ceremony, worked with the SEC on the rulemaking process, have written many a report now and books on uh, crowdfunding from the Dummies Guide to the World Bank Report. So we take it from every single aspect, how you look at it uh, and the opportunity therein. We've worked globally in 43 countries around the world, um, and all of our information is summarized, like I was saying, in this year's annual report, which anyone can access uh, online through cclear.ai. Um, we built this data set that collects information on all the companies that are raising money online, and it launched on the day uh, that the industry launched in May 16, 2016. It's a 100% complete data set. We collect 125 data points on every single offering that includes financials, what industry they're in, the valuation. But the key thing that makes us really different is the fact that we capture for the first time in history what we call investor sentiment. Um, and that's uh, two metrics that we use to, to gauge that. One is the dollar amounts that's committed to these offerings and the other one's checks written. So if you're on PitchBook or Crunchbase and you're looking at a, a company that's raised money, you see a, a figure that's sort of static. It's set, it's set in time. Um, and it's probably have a handful of VCs attached to it. So you can sort of see who the VC is and that'll sort of gauge your interest as to, you know, who's backing the deal and how much they put into it. But that's one way to look at it. This new way of looking at these deals is how much traction are these offerings getting? Um, who's, in, who's backing it? So the more people that are in it and the more money that's going into it, that tells us something that we've never been able to tell before. Um, and that's driving a lot of attention that we are looking at, particularly through our venture fund partner, D3VC, where we're trying to isolate the deals that are sort of rising to the top and due diligence on them for our own investment decision. Um, but we've got all this data that it pulls from the SEC. It's, it was plugged into Bloomberg Terminal back in 2021, um, and we sell it through license and reports. Um, we have an entire methodology for which we pull in the data. I won't go into it, but the, the important thing about this is we're getting information from the platforms, from offering documents, from daily you know, commitments that are going to these, these campaigns. Um, and then we analyze this in, in many different ways. And that's what I was talking about, why this report has gone from eight pages to 150, um, just because in the beginning there wasn't much to analyze. And now we can look at your deals based on location, their pre versus post revenue status, you know, startup or established. Um, and there's just a lot more that we can understand about them. So if we dig into the industry as a whole, um, there's been more than 6,800 companies that have run more than 1,000 offerings. That means that they've done, many a company has done a second or third or fourth, even up to nine rounds of financing through regulation crowdfunding. So it's not a one-time thing for many of these issuers. It's, it's where they're coming back to for follow-on rounds of financing. Uh, this is happening in 1,800 cities all across the United States. $2.2 billion has been invested by 1.9 million investors um, that look like you and me. They're, most of them are retail Americans, average Joes, just writing checks into people that are in their backyard that they believe in. Um, it's, you know, it's not just about creating opportunities and innovation. It's, you know, these companies hire people. Um, there's 310,000 jobs have been created in through this regulation. I think, you know, any any government official that might be listening to this should take heed to that number because that's something that, you know, our governments really like is job creation. So this is a jobs engine. Um, these companies, you know, they don't just hire people um, and they don't just produce products and services, but they actually buy products and services. 
Um, and so because we collect information on the financials of these companies, we can see how much they're spending. Um, and so when you add up the aggregate amount that these companies spend per year, right now they're pumping about $6.8 billion annually into the economy. So think about it this way. If regulation crowdfunding didn't exist, it, arguably that $6.8 billion would be evaporated from our economy. Mm -hmm. And that could you know, lead to recession. In, in one way or another. So regulation crowdfunding from you know, our perspective is playing a very important role in how our economy is functioning and growing. Um, this next uh, data point enterprise value of $75.6 billion, I think is a really important one because before I was telling you about the exits that we're starting to see, well, this is where those exits have that value that's being returned to investors. So companies come in, I'm sorry, individuals invest in a company at a set valuation. Companies go on for follow-on rounds of, value, uh, of financing at higher valuations, hopefully. Um, and so what we're seeing is, you know, that 2.2 billion invested initially is now worth about 75.6 billion based on a company's latest valuation. So someone's getting rich. Um, and I yeah. think that's an important thing about this. Um, not everyone will, and not all companies will succeed, but within this data set, we do have companies that will return a great amount of value. And the industry is growing. I think that's an important point. You know, we can't grow at 300% or 1,000%, you know, like you used to from year one to year two, but we're growing at an annual compounded growth rate of 59% right now. And I think that speaks volumes to where the industry is. Woody, hey, can, Wood, I, can I oh, double yeah. click on something? Yeah. With the enterprise value, and I don't know if maybe you're going to talk about this later on, but do you know if maybe like the top 10% of startups that raise money make up, I don't know, maybe 90% of the enterprise value? Do you know how the enterprise value is kind of divvied up among the startups? That's, you know, I don't have that answer at my fingertips right now, but I think that's a great um, point. And here's my sneaky suspicion about it. Um, the and we'll, you'll see in one of the slides that comes up the 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 profile of the companies that are raising money has changed over the years and so we're having companies that have average revenues over a million dollars now raising money and of course the more established you are the more revenues that you have the higher valuation you can command yeah. um but so we're that's driving up the averages so clearly we've got some companies with massive revenues that right. is pulling up the bottom um I think within that data set, those companies that have the highest valuations are increasing that uh, enterprise value up there. So I would say that, you know, probably, you know, I don't know, maybe 10% of the companies have created the majority of the value there. Um, but you have to keep in mind, not all these companies have gone on for a follow on round. So yeah. even that 75.6 billion, from my point of view, is underestimated because these companies are probably worth more. They just haven't done a follow on round yet mm -hmm. or they've done a follow on round maybe outside of you know, regulation crowdfunding. And we don't actually know about their latest valuation. So, you know, it's you know, I, I can it's a, probably something that uh, we can look into more, Connor. Uh, yeah. and I can get back to you uh, with that. 
I, I find that interesting because I do think there's some power law effect that plays in the startups in equity crowdfunding, right? It plays in venture capital and it has to play some part in equity crowdfunding. I'm just wondering if it's going to be more extreme or maybe a little bit less. And that's why you can get a, a higher rate of return investing in these startups because they're not all trying to go for a home run, but maybe a lot of them are trying to go for even just doubles, singles, you know. I think that it's going to that'll be interesting to look into. And as we get more and more data, as we have more and more years, we can kind of see how it plays out. You know what? I think you hit on something that people don't really talk about that often. Um, investing in companies isn't about hitting home runs all the time. Hmm. You know, I, you know, particularly if you've got if you talk to these VCs, they talk about, you know, you know, you know, you know, you know, a, you know, a one time two X, a three X. But they don't talk about hitting it out of the park all the time. Um, and I think that's a really valid point that within this data set, there's probably going to be many companies that, you know, return, you know, twice what was put into it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a great story in itself. You don't always have to have these home runs to have great right. returns. The whole point of the game is figure out how you can diversify into this asset class and then profit from it. Yep. That's a great point. Hey, Woody, quick one. Uh, your CAGR of 59%, is that um, related to issuers or related to deals or any other metric? Oh, that's a good point. That is related to capital invested. Got it. Okay. So so that means capital invested is growing at 59%, which means more and more capital is getting pumped into the overall industry. Yes. Particularly when you that's, go back to the, the beginning of time. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's that's a great sign. Great stat. Um, okay, so now let's just flip through you know some of the traction that's taken place over the past you know several years. As you can see, when the industry started, there weren't that many offerings. Uh, we grew you know year over year. Um, this past year, we had a pullback, but that was a pullback that we've seen really in the venture capital marketplace mm -hmm. uh, all over. And I think this is tied to issuers trying to time the market issuers being worried about the geopolitical or macroeconomic events that are happening and wondering if this is the right time. I mean, you have to remember the cost of everything went up, supply chain caused contraction. Um, and so it caused a lot of confusion. So there are probably a lot of issuers out there saying we need to tighten our belts rather than go out for financing. Um, and so maybe it's not the right time. So there was this pullback that we had in the number of deals. But when you look at this next slide, which looks at the deal count by quarter, you can see what I believe is a turnaround coming in 2024. Now, keep in mind, it takes about 90 days to put one of these offerings together. So I think this ties in with what was sort of happening in 2023. And what was that? Well, the Fed came in and they jacked up interest rates mm -hmm. to slow the economy down. We saw inflation come down. Uh, everybody got very comfortable with this idea of a soft landing. Um, and so you're starting to see like we hit the bottom in Q3, but that was probably when people were thinking already at the beginning of Q3, it seems like we've got this under control and maybe people started to start to put these offerings together, prepare them. And that was the uptick that we saw in Q4. So I'm highly optimistic that as long as, you know, the, the wars in the Middle East and, and the, what's happening in the Red Sea with supply chain issues doesn't expand or cause more uh, problems, that we'll continue to see, you know, the uptick in offerings here uh, in the United States, provided that, you know, 
inflation does not get out of control and there's not any economic problems here in the United States that would change any of this. You know, it's it's all depends on, you know, what's happening around us. We're all interconnected. Um, I think this slide really is a compelling one because pitch book, of course, is where everybody goes to look at what's happening in the angel and C world, um, because this is where VCs report what's really happening with their portfolio companies or pitch book really tracks what's happening with VC portfolio companies, I should say. Um, and, you know, what the yellow line tells us is what we know. Um, VCs really cut off their investing and their deals in Q1 of 2022. And we've seen that line just drop down. But when you look at the blue line, which is the funded investment crowdfunding deals that we've seen, that trend line's just been going up and up. Yeah, sure, it dropped off like it did for VCs, but it sort of recaptured itself um, and over time, you can see that it continues to go up, even though we've had this downward, you know, sort of trend. Um, so I, you know, one of the things that I'm fairly certain about based on my conversations with other VCs is 2024 is going to look a lot like 2023 for them. They're going to be investing, keeping their money for their portfolio companies to make sure they stay alive. Um, they're going to be looking for the down rounds that are coming from the really big companies that have run out of cash after sitting on the sidelines themselves for 18 or 24 months without doing a round of financing. Um, and uh, this is where the VCs will get these companies at a lower valuation, which will be good for them. But it's not going to mean that they're going to be really um, playing that much in the you know, seed and pre-seed world, which is where investment crowdfunding really plays an important role. So that's going to leave this void out there for investors, the, you know, investment crowdfunding investors and angel investors to come in and fill that void in the space, which is why I'm highly optimistic for what's going to happen in 2024 for investment crowdfunding. Um, one of the things I like to talk about in terms of you know, the industry itself and the profile of these companies is this slide, which is about the average age of issuers. There was a, um, a myth when the industry launched um, and there were a lot of naysayers from like the, the North American Securities Association, um, people that didn't want to see this happen because they were worried about grandma losing all her money. Um, rightfully so. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I believe that, that, you know, that can happen. I just think it's really hard to happen through crowdfunding just because of it, the online transparency of the whole thing. Mm -hmm. But they had a point, like these are the riskiest type of companies. Many of them will fail. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is the older a company is, the more established it is, the more revenues it has, the harder it is for it to fail. Not that it can't fail, but it just becomes harder for it to fail. And what this chart shows you is that in 2016, the average age of issuers was two. You know, in 2023, we're now over four years old. One of the things that, you know, I learned early on is if a company breaks that five-year mark, um, it's pretty much impossible to put them out of business. Um, so the fact that we're getting to that five-year mark on average, I think shows you the power and the staying power of this. Um, and the next few slides talk about this as well. You know, in the beginning, we had... Most of the issuers, 73% of them were startup, meaning they were less than three years old. Only 26% of them were over three years old. Those are your established issuers. 
Fast forward to 2023, the risk profile has changed dramatically. The amount of startup companies has dropped from 73% down to 52%. Your established issuers have jumped dramatically from 26% up to almost 48%. So again, you know, this is a great area for people to be fishing because it's not like you're looking at the riskiest companies out there. You're looking at companies that have traction and success, and they're just looking for capital to scale and grow. Um, and this goes to that, you know, in 2026, when the industry launched, the average revenue of these companies raising money online was less than $250,000. Now it's over a million dollars. So, That's again, awesome. you know, we've got solid companies in the space that are out there raising capital. Um, and I think that's just a phenomenal story for what is happening in the industry. Woody, I got a question for you. Mm -hmm. When you're when you're in DC and you're helping make this happen, would you have imagined, you know, seven years later that there'd be companies with over, on average, a million dollars in revenue raising capital? Like, like, could you have imagined it getting that big that fast? No, no. I mean, honestly, you know, when we were walking the halls of Congress, it was, we want to help, you know, startups. So we were thinking zero revenue companies. Yep. And we really want to help small businesses because at the time that we were doing this, the, you know, it was a there was a recession and these Main Street businesses were closing. So we wanted to figure out a way to help them. So Main Street businesses, you know, don't necessarily have a lot of revenue. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, to see how larger companies are coming in and leveraging this, not for capital per se, but for the power of what the crowd represents in terms of their ability to do marketing for the company, in terms of their brains. Like the really smart companies that leverage crowdfunding are using the crowd for their insight. Like, how can you help me solve my inventory issue? Like, can you help me come up with a just-in-time inventory process that can streamline our, you know, our process of how we get products out the door? Um, that's where I think this whole, and it's sort of cool, you know, we're yeah. making this community out of the community. You know, yeah. it's not just the investors that are the community. It's, you know, now we've, we're, we're in this together. We're in this bed and we can help these companies grow together. I think that's a pretty cool part of it. And I can, think, I, can I just say yeah. something here? Just just to add to what, what was just said here, I was looking at uh, some of the data from our report, Woody, um, how relative this size is. Yes, it's exciting to see this jump, but it's still so extremely small versus the, you know, the larger ecosystem. I just saw this metric that investment crowdfunding, so REC-CF, is only 2.6% of all VC seed and pre-seed funding, 2.6%. So just doubling that, right? We would still be just over 5% and we would already, you know, add a couple of billion in funded companies here. So it's from that perspective, it's just still peanuts. So to me, it's just shocking the kind of growth that we can still look at. You know, what are we looking at this in five years or 10 years from now? It's mm -hmm. going to be phenomenal. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. Like, you know, a lot of people were worried, like, what this is going to do, what it means. And in the beginning, you know, when we were walking the halls of Congress, like, I don't really think it's going to be that big initially. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you got to start somewhere and it starts at zero. Um, and the fact that it's that 2% now within seven years, I think is pretty impressive. You know, yeah. you know, can I, can I mention something more, which is really getting me excited. My background is in, you know, peer to peer <laughs> lending, online lending. Right. And I go back 10 years when basically prosper and lending club started. Right. 
they were their volumes were, and I wrote a paper about that. Their vol- volumes were less than five percent of the market, right? Way less than five percent of the market when they sort of started after after a number of years when the thing really sort of started taking off. Today, it's between sixty and eighty percent of all consumer lending volume in the U.S. goes through online platforms, right? In ten years, wow. from less than five to anywhere between 50 and 65, 70% today. So again, looking at this, we're at less than, you know, five. I'm seeing exactly the same thing happening. There's no reason why it couldn't happen. But Ivan, I mean, think about it this way. What's going what's gonna to flip the switch? Well, what did you guys have in peer-to-peer lending that is still missing today here? That's institutional capital. Yeah. You know, Think, you know, so that 2%, that little amount that we've managed to get in, into the marketplace right now or capture in the marketplace is just on retail investors and angel investors getting into the marketplace. Um, when, when you've got billions of dollars that can be siphoned into the marketplace mm-hmm. through institutional capital, which will come, that's when that 2% jumps up to, I don't know if it'll be 60%, um, but, you know, I think there's an opportunity for it to go pretty high. Um, and I think that's the exciting part of it, too, because when that money starts flowing into it, that's where we're going to see a lot of this innovation taking place, because a lot of these are small companies, founders that are coming out of Google or Amazon mm-hmm. that have great uh, ideas in AI or blockchain that are starting their businesses and probably have raised money before and had exits before. Um, they could benefit not just from the crowd's backing and proof the social proof that they have by raising around through Reg CF, but that institutional capital that'll piggyback off of that later on to help them really turn that into the next big company. So what what made institutional capital get involved with peer-to-peer lending? Because I'm trying to figure out what was that connection that made them take the jump and then try and figure out, okay, so then what is the missing link that helps institutional capital make the jump into crowdfunding? I can, again, refer to my past, you know, when I started in the business um, and I was like in 2010, I um, was one of the first uh, two principals in a new venture fund called Eaglewood Capital Management, became the first institutional asset manager to buy these loans in bulk. And so we raised $20 million at the time and then got a Capital One facility of $65 million, and we had $85 million suddenly to deploy on the lending club platform which made us at the time the largest buyers of these loans so we were the first institutional vehicle right mm-hmm. we raised this first fund very successful great returns we raised a second fund then what happened we were bought out by the largest asset manager in europe marshall ways who bought the whole thing and that opened the whole industry so suddenly it became commoditized and all the other institutions started to say hey this is an interesting way to look at this asset class, which before wasn't accessible for neither retail and not institutions, really. And so we showed the way became the precursor for that. And now it's all commoditized. And then all the institutions followed. And then you had the securitizations and all these kind of things. But that's where it started. You have to have one who starts a thing. And I'm happy to say that actually in our small world, that's the reason why we also set up a venture fund called D3VC, where exactly we're going to show the way on how it's being done. And we're raising institutional capital to deploy in this asset class. And hopefully we'll have the same kind of thing happening, what you know happened on the online lending space. Yeah, so I might be getting ahead of my skis here, but Woody, you're talking to venture capitalists. What are they saying about this idea of investing in the crowdfunding industry? 
What's the feedback you've been getting? You know, for the most part, I think they're they're open to it now. In the beginning, the, there were questions like, am I stepping on your toes? And, you know, we purposely set the initial target at 1 million so that we wouldn't be stepping on any VC toes. But now when you look at a lot of these deals and a lot of these platforms, the VCs are actually syndicating the deals on them. <laughs> uh, and you see it front and center, you know, which VC. So how cool is it that you can invest along and treat them? You know, yeah, you know, how, awesome. who could do that before? What retail investor had access to these deals before? Uh, you know, I think that's a pretty cool story that you now have access to these deals that you never had access to. Um, and so as VCs move upstream, by the way, for these bigger you know, deals through the down rounds mm -hmm. that are going to be happening, um, I think they're happy to know that someone else is coming in to take care of this space because they still need to invest in these deals when they graduate to them. You know, we're not going to, these deals aren't going to stay in the space forever, particularly the ones that, that, that are going to exit or are going to have acquisitions. Um, and so I think the VCs sort of like the fact that now we've created an opportunity for them to actually have better insights into which deals are the ones that they should be looking at. Because, you know, think about, you know, if you ever talk to VCs, they talk, well, this year we had 4,000 phone calls with entrepreneurs, yeah. you know, and we diligenced 200 of them and we invested in 10 <laughs> of them. You know, you, you just hear that all the time. So, you know, I think what we're going to do for them is say, okay, we'll now take care of the diligencing of the 4,000 deals uh, through the crowd and let the crowd decide which are the ones that are worthy of backing. OK, then we'll watch their progress over time. We'll track that progress through the annual reports, which we have access to. So we track all the information in that. And then we see these companies go on for follow on rounds. But then we actually introduce them to VCs later on saying, so this is company A. This is where they started. This is what they've accomplished. This is where their valuation has gone and where it is right now. And they're now graduating up to you. Um, and so we've reduced the amount of work, essentially, down the road that VCs will have to do when they're looking at companies that they want to invest in. And on top of that, we're making the, the process a little more efficient because mm -hmm. VCs invest in sweet spots. They invest in verticals. And so what we'll be able to do out of this whole entire industry and this data set is take AI or blockchain companies that are successful and introduce them to the VCs that invest in AI and blockchain. You know, when you've got the, the companies that focus on whiskey um, and there's plenty of them that seem to focus on whiskey, um, you know, we'll be able to take the best of the best out of, you know, the, the beverage industry and take it to the VCs that specialize in that space. Um, and so, you know, I, I think a lot of the issues that um, VCs or angels have is, you know, where do I find quality deal flow? Um, mm -hmm. And you hear that a lot. And yep. so I think what we can do is help filter that deal flow for them and bring them the quality deal flow later on by letting the crowd do a lot of the legwork and help that company get to the next level. Yeah, I also think, too, if a, a VC is going to want to mitigate as much risk as possible when making an investment. And when you have when you know the startup already has a crowd behind it, supporting it, advocating for it it reduces a lot of the original risk that might pose up. I don't know if the startup's going to get any traction. I don't know if it's going to get that flywheel spinning of people liking the product, but you already know, well, a thousand people already invested in this product. I look on Twitter and I see all these people talking about the product because they're so happy to be an investor, own some equity in the startup. 
And so I think one that gives them more confidence two that reduces the risk a little bit because they know it already has an audience and then they can figure out, okay, well now I can help them, you know, connect to maybe a distributor to get that product out to increase the sales, but I don't have to worry about helping them with the marketing because it seems like an aspect crowdfunding helps with the marketing and it helps with, you know, growing brand awareness. Completely. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> uh, so that, that slide's very exciting. You know, that's, Seeing that and seeing that slope continue to just shoot up, you no, know, well, next I mean, three the, years. One of the things that you have to keep in mind with this slide is, depending on you know where a company is, if it's startup or established, of course pre-revenue is zero, but you know <laughs> where they are in that continuum uh, will would determine what's happening on the slide. So it's you know you have to take these slides. You know, again, we have a, a deck that is 175 slides long. Um, but you have to dissect the data. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the important things. And as you get more data, there's more abilities to dissect it different ways. What I'm showing you are just general trends that we're seeing in the marketplace. All right, so let's move on to the, the, the next couple of slides really talk about this risk profile of companies. Uh, you know, this one I already covered in terms of the post-revenue companies make up the majority now. Um, but I think what's important about this is What's happening in this this space is it's not just about, you know, white males that are getting funded. It's about this democratization of capital across the entire United States. And when you look at the the profile of the founders of these companies, you'll see that 41.7 uh, percent of them had at least one woman or minority founder. And I think what's great about that is the fact that you know, it's this is not my data. This is research that's been done by Harvard and MIT on Silicon Valley and Sand Hill Road. It's typically about 2% of the capital there um, goes into women and minority founders. Now, mm -hmm. that 2% is probably a lot more money than we're raising to the to your point, Yvonne and, and Connor, here in crowdfunding right now. But it's going to change. You know, if we keep this 41.7% up, then that just means that much more capital is going to them. Now, one of the things that I don't like is, while there's 41.7% of women and minority founders out there raising money, they're only raising like 38% of all the capital. So there are some biases in the marketplace towards white men uh, that seem to raise more money from more investors at higher valuations. Um, but people should really, again, dig into the data, because if you look at the success rate of the companies, women founded companies have the highest success rate of anyone. Okay, women-founded companies tend to run stronger companies from a revenue perspective. Women-founded companies from the data is showing that they spend less money. So they're conservative with it and they have profits or fewer losses than their white male counterparts. So women are less risky. Um, so people should be looking at that as an opportunity to put money into it. And then when we talk to a lot of these founders, we learn from them about who their backers are. And what we learn is their backers look like them. So women invest in women, minorities invest in minorities, and that's their community. Uh, and I think there's power in that. Uh, and I think, you know, I think that's just a great part of, you know, how this whole industry is evolving. Um, oops, I'm going wrong slider. Okay, here's a cool thing that I want to point out. Um, because we can track growth over time through the data that we collect. Um, we can see 
what a company's revenue was at the time they did their most recent round of financing. And then when they file their annual report, we capture what the revenue was that following year. So just compare those two points. What's the delta between that? And then, then you take the average uh, of that. This is a fascinating data point. 284.5% is the average growth rate in revenue uh, between the year an issue was, was successful and the following year. So there's some logic in that. You know, you, you invest mm -hmm. a bunch of money into a company. That's going to allow them to invest in marketing sales, hiring people, getting more awareness out there. That's going to just generally help a company grow. But to have a data point like this that's as high as this one, yeah. I think speaks volume to something's working. So there's mm -hmm. growth built into this. If you invest in these companies, chances are the company will grow. And I think that's an important point. And grow um, a lot too. And grow a lot too, right? That's what you want to see. So, you know, let's continue to fund these companies. Um, here's another finding that came out of our research over this past year. Um, so it's a known fact that 50% of startups will fail within the first five years. Okay, so what we wanted to do is um, see, is that true within companies that raise money through crowdfunding? So we went through all 6,800 companies to see if they were still in business. And what we found is 17.8% of them have gone out of business. So as opposed to 50% of companies uh, that go out of business, according to the Bureau of Labor and Statistics, um, or all new businesses within five years, only 17.8% of funded companies have gone out of business. So these companies, again, there's logic in there. They're receiving funding, which helps them stay around longer. Um, you know, but the fact of the matter is, is, you know, the more they receive funding, the more they can grow, the longer around they'll, they'll be around. Um, so invest in companies and they'll stick around. <laughs> You know, I guess is the moral well, of the story there. And don't you also think too the the companies that look good are good, have a good structure are going to be the ones that are getting funded, and the ones that aren't the ones that you're like I don't know about that they're not going to receive the funding from the market. So it does a good job of kind of yeah I guess the minimizing clear, the risk right you know, self correcting mm -hmm. kind of same. We basically have a funnel right, which I thought. The whole industry is, makes it interesting as well. You have like thousands of companies that want to raise money online. Um, so they have to go through these platforms. But these platforms already do a first selection and mm -hmm. a very big selection. So already the ones that are being marketed on these platforms is already the best of the best, right? Because these platforms are incentivized by a commission if the deal goes through. If there's no deal done, they don't get paid. So there's a big incentive there. So from there, you then have the ones that get funded and don't get funded. So it's another selection. Mm -hmm. So you have like two layers out of thousands of companies. So the ones that are getting funded on these platforms, I think that explains why, you know, you have these kind of numbers here. You have already a selection of the best of the best within that population, which lowers your risk as an investor, I think, tremendously from, from the get-go. Yeah, you know, what's interesting too, when you look at the data, the companies that fail to hit their funding targets raise very little money. Like, yeah. you know, I think there's been 2.2 billion, uh, well, no, 2.2 billion has been invested, okay? Mm -hmm. But when you look at what's been committed prior to investing, because you can't get any money unless you hit your minimum funding target, it's like 20, I, I don't know the number offhand, but it was a very small amount, like 20 or $30 million 
that was committed to campaigns that was returned to investors. Mm -hmm. So it's just a tiny, like the crowd is really looking at these and going pass, pass, that one's good, pass. You know, so there's something going on, which I love about this industry where people look at a deal. Yeah, then no, I'm going to pass on that one. And it's not just one person. There's a lot of people looking at it and passing. So the deals that fail really have few investors in them and raise a little, just a small amount of money. And in a very interesting way, it seems like it's as efficient of a mar as a marketplace can get, right? Where the good deals aren't going to raise money. And then, or the, the good deals are going to raise a good amount of money and the bad deals just aren't going to raise much money at all. Right. And it's right. just because now you have so many people with so many different opinions doing so many, uh, going so, through so many different research routes and, you know, kind of coming to a conclusion, but it's not, there's very little group think because there's so many people having eyes on deals, which I find super exciting. It's not like those VC stories you hear where it's, uh, like, uh, what was it? Quibi. And I think now with humanity AI, the little, thing that you attached to your shirt that was supposed yeah. to be a new hot AI product raised, you know, millions of dollars. And I don't know if anyone's going to buy it now. So, yeah, I mean, there's risk with all this just because a company raises mm -hmm. a million dollars doesn't mean it's not going to, you know, flop. Um, right. And, you know, you really need to go into these deals with your eyes wide open and decide whether or not it's the right product, the right team, the right market, you know, mm -hmm. the right ability for them to exit for you to put your money in. Um, but you do see, to your point, Connor, the big deals raising the majority of the money. Um, you do see the big deals having the highest valuation like I was talking about. Um, and so there's a lot of momentum uh, behind investors into those deals. And so, you know, I, and I think that's a marketing technique used by the platforms themselves, you know, because they, they highlight front and center how much money has been raised by how many investors um, because there's, you know, power in, in numbers, mm -hmm. um, you know, if, and it makes you feel sort of, you know, one of the things that VCs say all the time, you know, when you're out there raising money is, well, who else is in, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. nobody wants to be the first person, <laughs> right? So, right. you know, if you see, you know, 300 people in the deal, you're like, oh, all right, I'll be 301. <laughs> um, you know, you're not, you're not the first person, but that's also to the point of, if you're putting one of these offerings together, you better soft circle a good 30% of how much you want to raise um, before your campaign goes live. Um, because it's really, you if you go live and you've got zero committed from zero investors, no one's going to be the first person on the dance floor. It just mm -hmm. doesn't work that way. You know, all these you know, isms that we've learned through life, you know, they play out everywhere. You know, no one wants to be the first one on the dance floor. No one's mm -hmm. going to be the first investor in your deal. You need to corral the group together so that on day one, when you launch, it's all there and other people can follow. Well, it's always the same That's... thing. Liquidity tracks liquidity, right? So it's like the, the two yeah. restaurants next to each other. One is full, one is empty. <laughs> and if you have to choose, well, that one is empty. It must be bad. So I go into one that's full, right? Although the other one may be much better. Uh, you know, it's kind of funny. Right. So true. It's literally just, you know, human psyche and how we operate. Um, and I think, you know, I, but that's like a really important point is don't try and defy the way the world operates you know, follow what works and follow the way things happen uh, and build that into your processes. Um, you know, and I think that leads to success, uh, you know, in this marketplace. And fun fact, Sam Walton, when he was getting Walmart started, he would have a circus outside of Walmart just to get people and just to get a line in front of Walmart because he figured once he gets that, then more and more people would be like, what's going on over there? 
And then next thing he knows, they just start coming into Walmart, you know, checking out what Walmart has to offer and then buying stuff. So, you know, if it worked back then and, you know, the early 1900s, then it's got to work now. Wait a second. So as soon as the circus stopped and people shut up, they weren't like, where's the circus? No, he just have it go on all day long. And then people would come like he'd have horse, he'd serve popcorn, hot dogs, everything out in the parking lot. And everyone would just come to the parking lot, check it out, and then see and then see the store because he'd build a new store in the town. And they'd be like, oh, let's check out Walmart. So that's how he just attracted a ton of people into his store in the beginning. But I guess that's the same kind of logic when you do these crowdfunding campaigns. you got to figure out how to attract a lot of people in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Because once you get you know that momentum rolling, investment flowing in, then more and more people are willing to go to the dance floor, right? That's right. Huh. Okay. Well, let's go back to the dance floor. Yeah. Um, here, this chart just shows you um, what's been happening in terms of investments that's been committed. One of the things that I like to point out about this slide is it took us five years to get the first billion dollars invested. It only took 22 months to get to the second billion dollars. Um, you can see, even though, and I'll talk about this in a little bit, there was a pullback in the number of issuers in the marketplace. There was a pullback, you'll see, in the number of investors in the marketplace, but the investors wrote bigger checks. Um, and so it's been interesting to see that 2023 was one, was the highest year in terms of capital commitments uh, to date. And I think that'll sort of play out in 2024 when you look at this chart right here, which is total investments by quarter. Um, and you can see this whole thing now, if we just switch to the, the lens of the investors and they're like, well, the Fed seems to be having the, you know, uh, inflation under control by increasing interest rates um, that, you know, the, the public markets have really just gone crazy and up. So that increases their confidence to deploy capital. And I think we're starting to see that in the numbers and the quarters that are playing out in these numbers here. And, you know, we're in this sort of, you know, a period where everybody seems like, you know, well, it all depends on who you are. If you're, st- if you're at the grocery store and you're paying a ton for your groceries, you might be thinking that things stink right now still. But um, if you're an investor in the marketplace, I think you've been pretty happy with your returns over the past year. Uh, and if you're looking at it the lens of those people that are investing, I think we're going to see more of the capital coming into the marketplace in 2024, as signaled from these charts. Um, one of the things that we'd like to point out is, you know, that the SEC changed the caps that you could raise from 1 million to 5 million in 2021, which is why we see that peak in 2021 there for the average raise. Um, these companies are raising on average about 450,000 now. So uh, what's great about this slide is it proves that this valley of death, you know, there used to be this period between $25,000 and $250,000 where after $25,000, you've tapped out your credit cards and your personal savings, you know, and at $250,000 is where you sort of go to angels and VCs where you start going to them saying, this is how much money I need. This is solved for that sort of valley of death that's out there. Um, and so I think this is a, a great slide in the sense that it shows you that average raises are increasing over time. I think we'll continue to see this increase over time. There's a lot of room for us to get up to the $5 million cap. Of course, these are all averages. Averages can, tend to be pushed um, uh, skewed by outliers. Um, but when, even when you look at the median, the median amounts tend to be increasing over time as well. Um, this is what I was just telling you about. Um, we had a, a drop off in investor sentiment that was literally tied to what happened uh, in 2022. You know, we had supply chain issues. We had hyperinflation. 
Um, investors are like, we don't understand, you know, or we're weary about what's going to happen. They all step to the sidelines. The VCs did it. You know, we saw this pullback in the marketplace as well. Um, and in 2023, it was pretty steady from 2022 as to the number of investors. But the difference was they just wrote bigger checks. Um, and I think that's the story. But I think what's going to happen in 2024 is that number is going to increase now. So we'll have more investors that are still writing bigger checks. So the aggregate amount of capital that will be committed in 2024, I believe will be much greater or the greatest that we've ever had to date. Um, and this proves that point too, when you just look at the investor account, it dropped off from a peak in 2021, all the way down to this you know, very, very horrible quarter in 2022. Um, and now we're starting to see this investor sentiment return in 2023, even though there were some peaks and valleys that took place in there. Um, uh, this proves what I was just telling you about, you know, the investors that are there are writing bigger checks. If you just add up the total amount that was deployed by the number of checks that were written, this is how you get to numbers like this. And you can see how that number in the beginning was $1,000. It's now close to 2000 One of the things that I really like to point out about this slide when it comes to um, investor protection is... Most investors are not going to lose their entire savings if they're investing $1,000 into a company. Um, the fact that it's moving up to $2,000, I think, speaks well for companies. But I think from an investor perspective point of view as well, again, an investor that puts $2,000 into a deal is not going to lose their entire savings. So there's the logic that is built into this marketplace that does not necessarily exist in other parts of the market. Um, it definitely doesn't exist when you go to Las Vegas and gamble. Um, so, you know, I, I love that we can point to data points like this to refute arguments of people why they should not do this as to, well, maybe you should because the data shows that there is logic in the marketplace and people aren't risking more than they can afford to lose. Um, on this next slide, this just talk, shows you how the average check size has been increasing over time to what the data has all been pointing to. Um, this slide really talks to the success rate. So what's there's positive and negatives about this slide. This slide is showing you that when the industry launched, the 50% of deals failed, 50% were hit their fund, minimum funding target. Now that success rate's really moving up closer to 75%, I think the average right now is about 69% throughout the entire time period of the industry. Um, the only thing about this is it's misleading in the sense that companies arbitrarily set minimum funding targets that are unrealistically low. Uh, it's, I think, something that needs to be improved in the industry. Um, there's been some professors that have talked about tying a, a minimum funding target to a maximum funding target. That way it can, you know, if it's four times would be, you know, four times higher than your minimum funding target. That means that if you set your minimum funding target too low, and you wanted to exceed that 4X, you couldn't do it. So it'll drive people to set higher minimum funding targets. So there's creative ways I think that we can deal with that. Um, but, you know, again, the success rate is high, but I think, you know, it's, it's not quite the whole story there. So Woody, um, why, why are startups raising, uh, setting unrealistically low uh, minimum targets? And then why is that a bad thing? Well, uh, all of these funding portals are mainly funded by VCs. Um, to what Yvonne was saying before, while they do look for quality deal flows, they only get paid 
if the deal is successful. So from their perspective, setting a lower funding target, knowing that at least they'll collect something on all the deals that are successful, helps them achieve their quarterly targets and goals that they need to report to their VCs. Okay. Um, and so, you know, I think that's what um, drives that kind of behavior. Um, but and your second question to that was, why is that a bad thing? Oh, just because you know, if you if you set a minimum funding target of you know ten thousand dollars, which I do see a lot, that's in my brain that's almost fraud. Like you know, <laughs> you if you are raising equity capital and your goal is to raise enough money to scale a business, which is feasibly mm -hmm. why you're trying to raise money. What are you going to do with ten thousand dollars? You know, mm -hmm. you know, you need substantial amount of capital. Um, so, you know, I don't you know, you could raise ten thousand dollars and then go out of business because you spent the ten thousand dollars. and You didn't have really the two hundred and fifty or in this case, you know, four hundred fifty thousand dollars that you needed to really get to your milestones to achieve your goals. Um, and so I don't like those those small funding targets because I think they're not in the investor's best interest. That makes sense. Yeah. So, you know, there's there's you know, these are things that, by the way, we didn't realize when the industry got started. There are things that were that come out as, you know, an industry grows and matures. But there's ways in which you change and you evolve. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, that's the type of thing that we will see evolve over time, particularly, you know, one of the things that we're pushing for is to move the cap from 5 million to 20 million now. You know, I think if we do move that cap from 5 million, 20 million, there's going to have to be some concessions that are made in the industry. Yeah. And I think that minimum funding target is going to have to be one of those concessions that's made. So it's much more realistic um, because regulators know, like what I just said is, is not news to them. They understand that clearly that these companies need sizable capital to scale and grow. And with a $10,000 minimum funding target, if you hit that, they're not going to achieve it. So you think they would, like, if we just play it out, okay, ceiling gets scaled to 20 million, but then you have to raise at least 250,000. You think it'd yeah, I mean, be something like that? I don't know like what it's going to be. I think, you know, this is a great opportunity for people to come together and think about what are ways in which we should approach this. Yeah. Like, you know, because, there's, you know, right now, you know, and there's been, a, you know, a lot of coverage of, well, just break down how you're going to use the proceeds that you raise, you know, mm -hmm. which you have to do anyway. Um, I just think there needs to be better, um, a better way to do it. And I don't mm -hmm. necessarily have the answer, yeah. even though I think, you know, I know a lot of things. I don't know everything. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, this slide right here, I think, is a really interesting slide. It talks about the million dollar raises that have been happening over time. You know, when the industry launched, there's just, you know, a few of them. Now we're actively seeing well over 100 uh, deals a year that are raising um, more than a million dollars. Now, because the cap went up to five million a year, we even have many companies that are raising three million dollars or more a year. Now, what's important about that is Companies that are raising $3 million, well, that's a proper uh, Series A type of round. So that's where you're getting into VC territory. So it's so the spectrum of investment crowdfunding, if the average raise right now is 450000 if we've got a lot of these companies that are raising a million, but we're seeing companies that are raising $3 million, we've got this range under which companies can see. And that's why you have these follow-on rounds of financing taking place, because companies can raise around, hit some milestones, 
grow the revenue, go out for more money, raise more money, uh, hit greater milestones, and now be in this Series A realm that I think we're seeing. And I think that's where we take these companies now to that next level and be like, okay, you know, you've we've accomplished what you needed to accomplish within crowdfunding. Now it's time for you to move on to you know the VCs or you know maybe private equity if you're lucky that can get you to that next level. Um, all of these companies, they hire people, they That's buy awesome. products and services. Um, and the important thing about this slide is they are pumping billions of dollars into local economies. So when it first got started, there was just you know a couple hundred um, million that was being invested or expensed into, you know, purchased and um, used into or pumped into local economies, I should say. Yeah. Um, now, if you aggregate all of this over time, this is where you get to that $6.8 billion. You know, that's my point, which is if crowdfunding didn't exist, all of this money theoretically or arguably could evaporate from the economy. So crowdfunding, investment crowdfunding is playing a very important role in the market itself and our economy. Especially in the local economies too, right? Not like the New York, like obviously there's a lot of money in New York and San Fran, right? But you know, you were talking about, I think last month in, you know, Denver, even mm -hmm. like in Colorado, there's, you know, it's a pretty big uh, spot for equity crowdfunding for companies raising there. So that's always exciting too, because that money means so much more than just, uh, you know, that dollar equivalent in New York. Yeah. One of the things that we highlight in the report. So we, last year we um, rated cities and states and we did it in this, the, the report for this year too. But one of the things that we did over this past year is we created startup genomes um, mm -hmm. for the country. And there's 30 of them that we've created around the country for crowd for investment crowdfunding. Um, and what's fascinating in there is, and then we had metrics for, you know, um, I think it was five different metrics for it. It's all in the report itself. I have to look at it all over again. But, you know, when we were at the end of the day, when we were done, Phoenix, Scottsdale, Phoenix area ended up number one on the list. Really? Um, and so what's yeah. great about that is it, it, it brings the importance of this to what you were just saying. It's happening in these local economies all across the country. Well, Scottsdale Phoenix is, you know, if you've been there, it's really grown dramatically over the past decade. Um, so that plays into this whole story of you've got more businesses in there and more innovation taking place. Um, and, I, and so Silicon Valley is not where it's at anymore. New York City is not where it's at anymore. Boston's not where it's at anymore. You know, last year, Las Vegas was number one on the list. The year before that, Austin was. Well, Austin has a reputation for being very VC-centric these days. But now we're seeing that change now to these other places. And I think Denver, you know, is an area where we can see this move up on the list as well. Um, this next slide hits on a point that I think is both positive and, uh, a, a, you know, cause of frustration for a lot of people, which is medium valuations are just on the rise. Uh, when are they going to reset? When are they going to come down? Um, now, a lot of this is tied to the fact that I was saying you've got companies that are post-revenue, greater revenues, older in age coming to the marketplace, and therefore they're demanding higher valuations because they can. Um, and so I think you need to break this down into, you know, your pre your pre revenue versus your post revenue companies, you know, those that are under three years old versus over three years old. And when you do that, you'll see that the companies that are established post revenue, 
they're commanding the higher valuations. We're not necessarily seeing a reset there. But when you look at the pre-revenue startup ones, then we're starting to see those valuations reset and come down. Um, and I think that's what the market sort of wants to see happening there. And maybe that's what's happening in this part of the, um, the chart here, where we see from Q2 to Q4 in 2023, median valuations really starting to come down. So that could be the reset that we're talking about. I highlighted this at the beginning, so I won't belabor it, but 2 point billion invested, it's worth about 75.6 billion today. Um, it's exciting. Means money coming back to investors. These next slides just really um, dig into where the deals are happening. So, you know, the West leads, um, followed by the South and the Northeast. The South, um, when you dig into it, you can see that you've got California out West that's leading a lot of the traction. Um, you've got Texas and Florida that are taking a lot of what's happening in the South. Um, and then, you know, in the Northeast, you've got New York and Massachusetts that are really driving it. Um, you know, by the way, this is the same story when you look at what's happening in venture capital. This is the same story when you look at the companies that are listed on the New York Stock Exchange. So I love the fact that the logic is the same. Okay. It's you know, what, right. but the difference is you've got all these other companies here that are in other states that are raising capital as well. So all this talks about is just capital is being distributed around the country. We've got these uh, genomes where more capital is being invested than other parts of the country. And, you know, investment crowdfunding is working. Um, the West tends to have the strongest issuers in terms of average revenue, followed by the Midwest, the South and the Northeast. Um, the West tends to lead when it comes to the amount of investments. You know, when you look at it and break it down further, again, California just stands out. You know, it's got the greatest population. Um, so, you know, it's close to Silicon Valley. I can see a lot of these innovation happening there. Um, so it just all makes sense. Um, and that's where your average raises tend to be higher out west than other parts of the country as well. Um, so, again, these slides are just really logic as to what's happening. You know, more people out west, more investors out west. Um, this is, the, you know, California, again, leads in that. Um, and this is the distribution of those investors around the country as well. So if I could compare the two maps together, you would see while there's more issuers spread around the country, there's these investors sort of tied in sort of certain areas more so than other areas around the country. Um, what, this is sort of interesting, you know, the average check size, while it sort of means, maintains the same, and this is over the entire period, not just in 2023, where you saw it was 2000. Um, but it stayed steady at, a, you know, right in this range right here at a little more than $1,000. But the Northeast sort of stands out more. So people in the Northeast tend to write bigger checks than the other parts of the country, um, which I thought was interesting. Maybe that's because people in New York and Boston make more. I don't know. Um, again, economic stimulus. It's happening where these companies are located because there's more of them in California. Um, we're seeing that uh, opportunity or the billions being invested into um, the West. Uh, valuations are, you know, the highest out West than any other part of the country as well. Um, and we have this um, index called the, the Crowd Finance 50, which tracks the top 50 companies each day uh, based on investor sentiments, so a number of investors, uh, dollars committed. And you can see that it's it's been going up, uh, sort of peaked out a couple times over the past uh, few years, but it's been holding pretty steady. And What's good about that is it goes to that, what I've been talking about before. Investor sentiment is strong, particularly among the biggest, the, the companies that are raising the 
posts. Investors are willing to deploy a lot of capital into them, and it's, that band is showing that's staying steady over time. So that, I think, is a powerful story. Um, this is really important, um, is that these deals are not just equity deals, but we've got debt deals and we've got revenue share deals. So yes, the majority of the deals in the marketplace have been equity, but you've got these main street type businesses that can then benefit from this. Uh, and I think that's a great opportunity that people should not um, ignore uh, from the data set itself. Um, there's been 119 registered platforms, 83 are active. WeFunder, StartEngine and Republic are the biggest ones, Seedinvest, has been acquired by Start Engine, so they're no longer in the marketplace. You've got broker dealers like DealMaker uh, in the marketplace that I think are, are staking a claim for themselves by saying that we wanna be the entire life cycle for your funding. Uh, so you'll see DealMaker um, and Dalmore grow over the next few years. Um, and But I think it's just a, a really, there's, there's a lot of players in the marketplace right now. It's very hard for a newcomer to come into the marketplace and compete because the brand awareness that these other platforms have have made it difficult for these other platforms to gain issuers. I think where it really works well is where you've got these regional platforms that focus on regional issuers and regional entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. That's where you've got them you know, saying, um, I just saw one the other day where they created this like crowdfunding for Baltimore. And it's, we're focusing on businesses in Baltimore and we're crowdfunding those businesses. Like that's brilliant. Yep. You know, make it local, make it focused, make people in Baltimore invest in people in Baltimore. Mm -hmm. You know, let's make Baltimore a better city, you yeah. know, and invest think, in the economy too, the local economy that's there. Yeah, totally. You know, I, I think that's just a, a great um, a great way for people to think about this. If you are interested in being one of these platforms, think about how you can be different from the mm -hmm. other ones in there. Think about, do I want to be a woman-only focused uh, platform? Mm -hmm. So um, now I don't know how much more time we have, so I want to sort of, you know, flip through as fast as I can. <laughs> um, you know, um, oh, well, there we go. You know, <laughs> if you, that's, you know, we're riding to the end, you know, if people have questions, they can definitely reach out to us. Everything that we have, I should say, you know, you hear me talking a lot, but we've tried to capture this in reports that allow people to look at it from a weekly basis, which is this uh, weekly tear sheet that is free for anyone to get. We've got a bi-weekly report that looks for trends over the, the last two weeks in the industry. We've got a monthly report that digs into month to month, quarter to quarter, year to year um, in that. And that also one, what I love about the monthly report is we break down a vertical, a sector. So this in January, we went through all artificial intelligence companies that are raising money online. Mm. We highlight a company in there so people can learn about what they're doing. We can see the top <clears throat> AI companies in there. In uh, December, it was blockchain. We did beverages before that. We did um, health um, health tech before that. Um, so the monthly one's just sort of cool because it gives you insight into the sectors that are happening. And of course, we've got this annual report, which everyone should get because it's just the, you know, the best report in the world. <laughs> um, and um, this is our, our newest thing that I think is just really cool. Um, you know, people might be thinking, you know, Woody, you just told me that there's 6,800 companies that have done 8,000 offerings. I can't go through all that. You know, how can you help me with that? So what we did is we took the data, 
we took our knowledge of you know what makes for a good company um, in the data set based on signals of companies that have gone on for follow-on rounds of financing at higher valuations, companies that have scaled to that 258% revenue growth that we were talking about. And we tagged all those signals of what companies look like in success. And then we compare companies that come into the data set every day and every week. You know, there's about 150 new companies a month that come in. And we then started ranking them compared to success. So Capital Pulse really looks at the best of the best. And every week it delivers uh, people that subscribe to this 15 companies that we believe have those characteristics and traits of success in the data set. Um, and that way, people that don't want to look at deals on all you know, 83 active platforms can actually just subscribe to this and get deals and look at it from this perspective. You know, it, does, it doesn't mean that mm -hmm. you should invest in these deals. It means that from our point of view, something about them means it's worthy of, of your attention or looking at. And that what's cool about that is this last um, column there shows you investment sentiment or industry sentiment by investors over time. So you can see where it's really, really strong, um, where it might be weak. And so I think that those are key things that are, are driving things. Um, one of the things that, you know, we've been working on here is a masterclass. Um, you know, I think there's a lot to learn from the data itself. And so um, investors that really want to invest in this marketplace, I think, you know, we put together this masterclass so people can learn about what is regulation crowdfunding? What are the rules under which you can raise it? How much can you can raise? How do you really diligence these companies for success? How do I diversify into this this marketplace? You know, how much should I be risking? Um, and so we've got this masterclass that's going to be launching soon uh, to cover that as well. Um, of course, all of our data is available for anyone. It's great for artificial intelligence and machine learning. Um, that's literally how we came up with Capital Pulse. So you can do your own things in that as well. And then I'll just end with, you got questions, we've got answers. Thank you for the uh, the report. And I guess my question is, not trying to put you on the spot, but what trend are you most excited for to watch and follow for 2024? Looking back at the 2023 trends in the industry, what trend are you most excited for in 2024? Um, you know, I'm really excited to see if, in fact, the soft landing that I think we're in, or, you know, where we are, um, does translate into more investors and more dollars. Um, and if, in fact, investors are um, confident that it's the right time to deploy capital, because there's $6 trillion sitting in money market funds that was put in there when the Fed jacked up interest rates. And, you know, that's a lot of money sitting on the sidelines um, that can obviously not all of it, but some of it can go into this space. So that's what I'm sort of excited about. The other thing is, you know, I think um, one of the things to go back to that monthly report, when we highlight these companies in these sectors, I, I'm just excited to see the diversity of companies in there mm -hmm. um, and what that and the opportunity that is for investors like you and me, um, because you know, this didn't exist before, like, and to be able to, to you know, one, you know, I've got a seven year old son, you know, and he's like, daddy, tell me, you know, like about what you do. And I was like, well, let me just show you, 
you know, let's go in here. And of course it goes, most of it goes over his head, but you know, (laughs) there's a way in which you can teach your children about, you know, you know, wealth creation, you know, in a way that you couldn't do it before. And, you know, I think a lot of the lessons that we had in terms of investing in the public markets are important um, and, and parents should pay attention to that. But I think the new world is investment crowdfunding as well. And we need to be teaching children about diversification um, and how you can invest in the public markets, but maybe you should put some money into the local community and the benefits that that has. Um, So I'm just excited for that part of it over this next year. I think that's exciting. I also think it's interesting to think about, you know, 21 auto startups raised capital that should have been enough capital to get them through maybe let's say the next 18, 24, 36 months. And now it's kind of getting to that time where they're going to need to raise another round. They might not want to raise a really steep down round that VCs might be pushing for them. They might raise a down round, but maybe it's not as steep as the VCs are because they know the VCs know that they have more leverage with pricing the, uh, the valuation. So maybe they go towards more of crowdfunding route. So I think that's going to be interesting to see, are we going to get more high quality startups participating because they want to raise and kind of build a community and think that's the best way to grow in the future. Maybe they are going this route because they don't want to deal with VCs. You know, whatever the case is, I think we're going to see a lot of startups kind of definitely consider and start going the crowdfunding route, especially in 2024. It'll be good for your podcast too. Yeah. A lot more guests, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so that's the goal. Well, Woody and Yvonne, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people, obviously, you have your uh, the link there, but are you active on Twitter? Are you active on LinkedIn? Can they find you on social media? Where can people find you? Absolutely. Uh, just uh, Google uh, CClear or Crowdfund Capital Advisors. We're on all the platforms. Um, as Woody also said, we're pretty soon going to announce this presentation. Uh, and obviously, you'll be the first to be invited where we talk about what we want to do with the masterclass, which I think is going to be really a game changer uh, in the industry, quite frankly. So uh, look, uh, you know, look out for that. And uh, yeah, and obviously you have my uh, my uh, uh, you know contact details here. I'm uh, obviously very uh, happy and keen to hop on a call or you know, whatever with anybody who wants to you know chat about the industry, know more about what we do. Um, we have a lot more coming, uh, and and quite frankly, what gets me excited is this. I I think we're hopefully 2024 may see. Um, a what I call an Eaglewood moment, going back to my online lending. I, I think it's time for institutions to start looking at this more seriously. And we don't need a lot, but we need, we need and we may be part of the solution there, but um, it can go quickly. And, and it's all about liquidity. Institutions come in when they can put some real money at work. So they need to be able to write larger checks. A VC is not going to come in if, you know, and, and, you know, put a couple of thousand dollars in, in a hundred deals, right? Mm-hmm. They're going to say, look, you know, here's a, you know, half a mil, um, put it at work in the fund and, and, you know, and let's go from there. So once you can do that, I think with the, with the numbers in, in one or two years, um, will we have an institutional size asset class here? And it's going to be it's going to be night and day. So I think we're very close to that moment. And, and quite frankly, I, I must say that we're part of that, you know, development as well. So I'm very excited about uh, helping make that uh, happen. That's super exciting. And 
like what he said earlier, no one wants to be the first player, a first person on the dance floor, right? Institution-wise, no one wants to be the first. But once we get one, then it's just going to be a domino effect. That's right. So, well, thank you for coming on. To all of our listeners out there, thank you for joining us. And we'll see you next time on This Week in Investing in Equity Crowdfunding. Great to be so here. So long. Thanks, guys. Bye, everyone. Bye.